we're in 2 Samuel uh, 19, verses 9 through 43. And so we're covering uh, a lot of, of verses today, of course. But it, it does, they kind of fit together. And we're going to uh, lay those out before you. Hopefully it'll be helpful for you as you're thinking through uh, this. You know that we studied like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and then we kind of had a break with all, everything that was going on. And now uh, we're, gonna, we're kind of picking back up 2 Samuel and putting that together. And so if you would just pray with me as we get started. Father, we are in need of your mercy and grace every day. We are in need of understanding and seeing and savoring Christ. We want to live lives that would bring honor to his name. We know we are easily uh, lured away um, by all kinds of things that uh, attract our attention. And so we ask today that you would... Um, Help us see what it's like to truly uh, walk um, as a friend of Christ, as a, as a faithful one that is living to bring honor and glory to his name. In Christ's name, amen. So how many of you would like to have a good friend? You say, well, I don't know, sometimes. I mean, friends are messy, you know. I, maybe I want a good friend. I don't, I, I'm not sure. No, I'm just kidding. Most of you would say, I want that faithful friend. I, I want someone in my life that I can go to, someone I, I can trust. Uh, there are some people that might say to you, it is rare to find a good friend. And um, <clears throat> there may be times in your life when you are uh, thinking like, I've had seasons where I had a number of close friends and then kind of they move out of my life and then others come in and and you've been through kind of those seasons. Um, would you consider, and this is something that I think is important to consider, uh, there may be some of you that say, I've never really had any close friends. Would you maybe say, there, the reason that is, is because I'm not a very good friend. Would that be something like, you know, to kind of say, maybe I'm not that friendly, maybe I'm not that trustworthy, Maybe I'm not someone I can, uh, that others can, can uh, confide in for whatever reason. Um, but, but you just have to think in terms of like, are you a faithful friend? Do you want to be? Do you look for those? And then you kind of have to come to this place where you say, have you ever had a group of friends that were not good friends? Like sometimes like in your youth, you know, maybe teen era, you know, you had these people that were friends or you thought were your friends and then you're kind of like, Oh, they really weren't friends. They didn't really care about me. They didn't really want good. They were like good time friends. And as long as everything was going on and, you know, you were having like a big time, they were there. But as soon as like trouble came, like you're like, what happened to all my friends? You know, I think it's important for us to say, OK, uh, we all want faithful friends, good friends. We want to look at our own lives and say, Am I a friend like that? And then we also might say something like this. Uh, how do you spot friends that you're not, that are not really friends and, and like keep your life in a way like close to some really solid, tight-knit folks? And then I think it's important for us this morning to say, you know what? What do we learn about Jesus with regard to that? Like, how do we see him? What kind of friend was he? Well... The Bible says that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
the Bible also says that he, um, he explained to them all that the Father told him to deliver to his friends. It shows great intimacy with him. The Bible says that he laid down his life for his friends. And it's friendship with Jesus is like this is a central thing in your life. And so he says, now, how do you know if that you are his friend? And the way you know that is the scripture says that you follow his ways. You trust in his direction. You you obey his his guidance you, you really, and it's not like he's doing that because he wants bad for you. He's laid down his life for you, and then he said, here's the way to the good life. It's like the perfect friend. And so in this picture, as we're thinking about this this morning, I think it's important for us to say, what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? What does it mean to experience his friendship? And am I truly experiencing that? And you're saying, what does that have to do with David and what's going on with him? Well, David has left Jerusalem, and now he is returning to Jerusalem. And there are going to be a lot of interactions. You're going to wonder, like, who is going to come alongside David? Who is there awaiting his return? Who's longing with joy for his return? And hopefully that will kind of stand out to you as we move through. So let's review real quick. Remember, David is under God's judgment because of his sin with Bathsheba and then killing her husband. Uh, David's son, if you remember, Absalom conspired against him and he wants to kill him. And so uh, he seeks to do so. And as a result, there becomes, there's this great battle that kind of lines up here. Absalom has led Israel to follow him. And so all of Israel kind of comes out against David and his army of faithful followers. As a result, Israel is defeated and Absalom dies. Now, after Absalom dies, uh, under the, at the hands of Joab, one of David's great generals, uh, the a guy runs to David, actually two men, but one runs and tells him like, hey, there's been victory. David is filled with sorrow. It's a sorrow that's filled with guilt and um, because of his shame for all that he has done probably, and also the shame placed on his family. And uh, Joab comes to him and says, Look, David, I understand that you're sad. He doesn't say that really. But he says, You have a kingdom here. And this thing is like on edge. I mean, people have just been totally against you. They've, they've walked basically away from you. They have come up against you to war against you. And the kingdom is in shambles. You've got to get yourself together and act like a king. Honor those people who have laid their lives down for you, who have shown you friendship. Honor them. Bless them. They are the only friends you got. Kind of. Wake up. And so David goes out. He does his kingly duties. He shows gratitude as he ought to. And we're saying like, God has protected the kingdom. Now this week, David is coming back, and you're kind of wondering, like, what's it going to look like? Will the kingdom be reunited? Will it be restored? Will people come under his leadership again? Um, And we'll kind of see that on display. And really, we're going to get a glimpse into 
kind of a return to some of those people who, when David left, we remember their responses. Now we're going to see their response when he returns. So I would just say from a big picture, thinking about this in the Christian life, whether you believe it or not, Jesus will return. When he does, will you have been his friend? Would you be one known as a friend of the Lord? Will you have walked with Him, followed Him? Will you find yourself in terror or joy as you see Him return? Because I think in the big picture, it's like Jesus is not, you're saying He's not here, when is He going to return? Well, when He returns, it is important that you prepared yourself for it. So, let's move uh, through this and think about it. Remember, David is coming back, the kingdom uh, is kind of hesitating like to come back together in a way the people are struggling with that so second samuel 9 verses 9 and 10 and the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of israel remember they have like went against david and they say this somebody stands up and says hey that remember like he's delivered us from our enemies he saved us from the hands of the philistines and then he fled when absalom showed up and we anointed Absalom to be our king. And we went to battle against him. Now Absalom's dead and David's coming back. What are we going to do? And that's kind of what's going on within Israel. And the king decides, again, he's kind of like doing what he's supposed to do. And in verse 11, he sends out a message and he says, Say to the elders of Judah, which was his family, basically his tribe, his family tribe, that, I mean, some of them had rebelled against him. He says, why should you be the last to bring back the king? So he's waiting to come back into the land, and he's saying, like, shouldn't y'all be, like, running over to get me and bring me back in? Like, why would you be the last? Like, we're family of all things. And David, in a way, is just testing their loyalty. But in verse 12, he says it very clearly. You are my brothers. You're my bone and flesh. Why then should you be the last again to bring me in? He kind of goes after them a little bit. So, David goes even further here, and he kind of sweetens it a little bit. And he says, look, I'll make this man in Judah a commander really replacing Joab. It's like he's kind of politically saying, guys, like, don't you see, I'm not going to go and like take all of you out. I'm going to bring you in and put you in really important places. Verse 14, and he swayed the heart of all of the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So they're welcoming him back in. It, but it's it's almost like they're welcoming him in, but it's just they're they're kind of keeping their distance at first. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came out to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. So they're going to go out and make this public spectacle of them bringing him back in. Again, we're thinking about friendship with the king. We're thinking about like how people are responding. The, the king is returning, but you kind of see this struggle taking place. Now look at verse 16. So he's coming back in, but the and then it says in verse 16, And Shimei, the son of 
Gera, the Benjaminite from Baharim, Baharim, uh, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Remember, when David, this is kind of cool, if you've been studying along, you would have seen this cat before. And what he's doing is, on the way out, like he's throwing dirt at Jesus. Not Jesus, sorry, David. He's throwing dirt. Like, he's cursing him. He's saying like, you've been messing with our family all this time. You've done dirty things to the house of Saul. Like, you're getting what you deserve. And, and, and I'm glad to see it. And so he's just like running along, so much so that one of David's like kind of men says, let me go cut off his head. I'm sick of this dude. I'm going to silence him forever. And David's like, let it be. Don't do anything or whatever. Now he's coming back. And you're like, he's coming back, and he, he comes before David, and he says, I've sinned. He's pleading. In a way, he's saying like, look, I, I want to do good for all the bad that I've done. I, I mean, at one level, you kind of think, is he really a friend? I, I don't know. Is he, is he at this place of true brokenness? Or is it like, oh my goodness, like, I'm now in a place where I'm going to be totally and absolutely undone. I'm going to lay down the sword before him. I'm not going to fight with him any longer. Actually, I know that he has the ability today to take me out. And David says to him, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. The second encounter here on an individual basis is with Mephibosheth. Again, if you're just now studying this with us, you're like, Ugh, all these names and all this stuff going on. Just get this. We start out and we say, David is returning. After he's kind of been cast out of the kingdom, he's returning. You're looking at these different responses, first by kind of Judah as a tribe, and then these individual people. And you're kind of thinking back, like, how did they respond when David was in, I mean, yeah, when he was in trouble? Like, what did they do? So, and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard. Remember, he is a man that has been lame since an early childhood. And he, he had done nothing to take care of himself. Now, he had been living in David's house. He was a part of life with David day by day. And David had taken care of him when he didn't have to. And it says, from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. He had not taken care of himself. What, what is the idea there? What is going on there? He has been in a state of mourning the whole time. He has been heartbroken over the situation that David has found himself in. He has not touched anything uh, that had to do with like keeping up himself his commitment to David is shocking in verse 25 and 26 David asked him why didn't you go and if you remember in the past he had asked for a donkey to be saddled he could not walk and his own servant like left him there and so he has just been there 
awaiting, hoping, longing for the King to return. And so in verse 27, he's speaking. He says, He has slandered your servant to my Lord the King. But my Lord the King is like the angel of God. Do therefore whatever seems good to you. So what happens is he tells him the story and he says, David, do whatever. You're the servant of the Lord. You do whatever you uh, long to do. The angel of God, he speaks of him as. In verse 28, For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? He's kind of like bringing up like his hopeless state and the mercy that David has shown him. Verse 29, the king said, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Not going to go into all of that story. But verse 30, And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let, let him take it all since my lord the king has come safely home. What, what does he say? None of that matters to me. All that matters to me is that you've returned safely. Like, it, it, none of these things that would, I mean, really, he would have been a very wealthy man. He's like, let that crooked servant have it all. Just give me David. Healthy. And in a good place. And in and, and a restored place. Just give me that. That right there would please me more than anything. All the other things, those are secondary. Those are like hidden to me. I don't even see them. I just want the king back. I want to be in his presence. I want to be close to him. I want him whole. I want the kingdom right. Everything else is secondary. Then David encounters a third man. And in verse 31 to 33, there was this man that helped Barzillai. He helped David along the way. He was 80 years old, and he provided the king with food while he stayed at a place. He was a very wealthy man, and he just made sure that all of David's needs were met. And David wants to repay him for all the good that he has done. He wants him to come back to Jerusalem and live with him and enjoy uh, all the pleasures that he has uh, for him there. But, you know, he's kind of sitting there saying, look, I'm 80. I'm old. I, I'm about to go uh, to be with my fathers would be a way that they might say that. I'm about to die. I, 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 why don't you carry on with the next generation? Why don't you bless the next generation? It's kind of the idea that I have uh, in my mind here because he, he speaks of, um, when he speaks of this other person, Jim Ham, it's probably one of his sons or something like that. Maybe someone in his family very close to him. And he says, like, take him and bless him. So this guy that David encounters is a guy that's really blessed David in a very difficult time. And now this man is saying, pass that down to them. Let that be my heritage. Let him be blessed with all the good that you want to display to me. And so he and David part. In, in a state of both of them uh, pleased with one another, he is blessed because of him. And then um, the, the king takes this man uh, on this guy's behalf. And so you see these responses. You see these encounters. And, and I just think it's important to say, like I said, as you are thinking about it, you're just wanting to recognize like how people respond 
uh, to their king. Now, the last three verses, verses 41 to 43, this is kind of the ten tribes that really, um, they're kind of mad that Judah got to go down there and get the king and bring him in. Have you ever had that in your family? I don't understand why I didn't get to do that first. Why does he always get to be first? We we were thinking about doing that. You know, they're just kind of mad about it. They're really not about the king. They're about themselves. Why didn't I get that? I mean, I I don't know if y'all, have y'all ever heard that kind of talk? Have y'all ever thought like that? I don't, any, none of y'all here probably don't, y'all, y'all don't think like that. Y'all are always like putting others first and thinking like, I love to see somebody else be able to be blessed. Right, Sir Leo? Like, isn't that how, yeah. Okay, sorry. But anyway, so we're thinking about that and you're looking at that and you're thinking, man, these guys, the king has come back. They've been against him, really. And, and instead, they have went to war against him. And now when he's coming back, they're saying like, we wanted to bring him in. It's like, really? Really? Y'all are really committed to him now? So anyway, again, you're going to see this. It's, it's kind of a picture. They get into a little bit of an argument here. And, um, I mean, Judah's kind of saying, hey, he's our boy. And they're saying, wait, y'all don't always get to claim that. And, and so anyway, uh, that's kind of sets the stage for something that's happening in chapter 20. But what do I want to say? If I'm thinking about this text, what am I saying to this morning? I would say there are aspects of this that are instructive to you and me. They really are. There's this place where I say, like, where are you in relationship to Christ and His kingdom? I mean, where are you really? I mean, He's returning, and every week we remind you of that. Every time we say to you, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're we're proclaiming His return. We are saying to you, the King is coming back. But the question is, is like, are you one of those people that's kind of so asleep to that reality? Right now, you're looking at all the circumstances in this world, and all you can think about is this earthly life. People want you to think about that every moment of every day, of every hour, of every minute. They want you to get on the news and just sit there and go, Oh no, this earthly life, it's so scary, it's so terrible, everything's falling apart, I have no hope. Right? And you just get to be like, ah, I mean, I can't hear this anymore. It's running me crazy. And there's no question that like, Should we listen and be wise and good stewards? Yes, of course. But I think it's important to say, at the end of the day, if that is more important to you than the return of the Lord. We we have gotten our priorities mixed up. In the days of Noah, people were acting as if that big boat that he was building was just like one of those moments where he just had lost his mind and somehow convinced other people to be a part of this almost 100-year, wasn't it, like project. And he's just out there and you're thinking, what are you doing, bro? Like, come on. And then the rain began to come. 
And it came and it came and it came. Like for a lot of people who had watched this public spectacle for years, it came to them like a thief in the night. When we think about the return of the king, is it important to us? Do we long for it? Are we, in a way, kind of like what the Bible speaks of, preparing, always preparing, always being ready? What does it look like for you to be ready, to be actively preparing for the return of the king? What does it look like for you to be a friend of him now? He is coming back. He will reign. And all the nations of the world that stand in opposition to him will be crushed. And the question for us today is, are we preparing not just, I mean, at some level with a holy fear, but not just fear, also with joy as you're longing for the return of the king? Do you sit there and, and like Mephibosheth, just say, listen, let all these things go. He alone is my goal, my desire, the one who satisfies my heart. I love him above all. There are really two types of people in the world. Those who are aligned with the crown, the king's crown. They, they, they love Christ. They love his kingdom. They long for him. They anticipate Him. They're praying, come Lord Jesus, come. Their hope is built on Him. And then there are those who are not. In the end, the Scripture says, there are those who will love His appearing, they will experience the joy of being with Him forever, and there are those who will be crying out for the rocks to fall on them. Why? Because they want to get away from the wrath of the Lamb. There will be two. There will be those who are gathered together with Him and those who are cast away. And the real deal today is saying, like to me, is okay, when the King returns, will you find yourself prepared? You know, when you think about heaven and you think about life in general, you, you know... I read somebody this week and he said, you know, if everything in heaven that you think about is stuff for you, if you were like really thinking about it and you were saying like, what do I really want in heaven? If it's filled with all your idols and lust, as if like God could stock the pantry for you to delve into those the rest of your life, if that's your idea of heaven, and it's not about entering into the presence of the king. Where does that leave you? Where do you think you'll be? Where are all of the idols of this age going? Where are all those things that you're living for? Where are they going? In the end, they will be found to be what they are. And they will be in the lake of fire. But those who do the will of God, those who seek the Lord, those who want the king, they will find Him. So if you are outside of Christ today, if you are without hope, if you are trusting in the wrong things, I ask you today, like, prepare yourself for the King. Put your faith in the King. Trust in the King. Hope in the King. Look forward to the King. He will return. 
If you choose to not prepare now, you will not be prepared then. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that we would grasp what it is to be a friend of Christ. What it is to know him, to experience life with him. We pray that you would give us a heart for the things that are eternal, that are of eternal value and weight. We ask that you would address things that are not that to us and that we would repent of that. In Christ's name, amen.